You're listening to Creators in Saigon, a podcast based in the rapidly modernizing city of Saigon, Vietnam. I'm Dana, and together with my co-hosts, Tuesi and Nico, we interview the most inspiring creative entrepreneurs Saigon has to offer on topics about life, relationships, creativity, business, health, and more. We are all coaches specializing in different areas, but our common goal is to inspire you to reach your full potential in these areas and improve the quality of your life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Creators in Saigon. I am here with my co-host Tuesi and our guest Tony Fernaro. Before I dive in, I just want to thank everyone so far for resharing past episodes. Lately, we've had so many people resharing on social media, your Instagram stories and tagging us. And we're just so appreciative of that. It really motivates us to continue doing more. And it also helps the guests to feel really good and comfortable in sharing their stories. So thank you so much. And please continue to do that. And diving in, so again, we have Tony here. Hello, Tony. Hello. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. So Tony is from Boston, Massachusetts, USA. He is an English teacher and is also doing some copy editing and blog writing for a company here in Saigon. And in his free time, he writes his own blog called Travel Ballads with some personal reflections on life and his many, many travel stories. Tony started this blog after leaving a 19-year career in insurance at the age of 41 to come to Vietnam and finally pursue his passion of traveling long-term. So I know I'm super excited to talk about this today because I feel like oftentimes people feel like, oh, it's too late for me to travel or it's too late for me to change my career. I've been doing this for so long. Like why change now? So I'm excited to get into like your thought process and experience behind that. But just to start off a very simple question. Do you mind like how old are you now? Just for people, people's (laughs) reference. Yeah, Uh, I'm now 42. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah. you came here last year? A year and a half ago was December 2019. Okay. December 2019, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So not too I long. thought it was fun. Your, your lead-in, I was like, <laughs> I may have heard it this way. Almost, I was like, he left the 19-year career to, to blog in Vietnam. <laughs> I was like, I guess, but not really, but not sort really. of, yeah. yeah. I ended up blogging, yeah, 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 yeah. kind of. But yeah. yeah, as you know, that the the blog doesn't even really exist anymore. <laughs> but that's just because I I ran out of things to blog about, so mm. I kind of stopped doing it. But we can get into that too. Sure, yeah. sure, yes. So I guess jumping back to the beginning, was traveling long term something you always wanted to do, but you were putting it off for some reason. Or did something spark like a sudden urge to travel? To travel, no. I mean, I had I had talked about traveling when I was young, like twenty five or so, twenty four. I'd talk with friends. We should we should travel. We should go to Spain. Let's go to Italy. But never. So I talked about that when I was twenty five, and I didn't travel internationally for the first time until I was thirty two. I did everything late. So it's like, I mean, I've been to Canada and stuff like that, but, 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 but actually going to Europe and traveling and doing that thing where you're going for culture and traveling to travel. I went to Spain at 32 and that did, it took me a while to go to different 
being in different countries, it, it took a, a several of those before I ca- sort of caught that. Um, I knew s- as soon as I was in Spain that I wanted to keep doing it, but it took a while to get to that point. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like I was like, this had always been my dream. I want to travel long term. I hadn't thought that far ahead in my twenties. I was not even like a fully formed person. I was just like doing my career and trying to like figure out life and who I was. And then as I got into my thirties, I'd been a bit more established. It was able to travel and then that bug did hit and but it took like a decade to like really perpetuate itself Mm, okay so why do you think you were such a late bloomer as I've heard you say great question uh (laughs) I don't know I feel like it's been that in every like everything I've done like my I don't know about you guys but it's like my 20s were like I remember them. I was I was there, but I was I wa- there. <laughs> I was there, but like sorta, like not really. Like if you met me in my twenties, you've never met me. Just like I've said to people in my my thirties were it's ten years, but I was three different human beings in my thirties, and now you're talking to me at forty two, a completely different person. So, I late bloomer. I don't know. I started a career really early obviously like super early but like i think i just was like well this is what you do i got a career i now i'm i wanted to get out of my house as fast as humanly possible i did that and then it was like i guess you just do a career that's what you're supposed to do if i work i'll rise up in the ranks and i'll make some money and that's i didn't think beyond that and then you're going through life normal stuff relationships blah 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 why did you want to get out of the house as quickly as possible oh man um (laughs) (laughs) just going right yeah no that's fine yeah so i was so i i'm the only child of a single mother uh no dad in the picture that wasn't why my upbringing was actually quite good i was raised I kind of look back and I remember a lot of time with my grandmother and it was kind of like a neighborhood of little old Italian ladies that raised me. It was really nice childhood, a lot of cousins, a lot of friends. You know, it's like you get to a certain point and the relationship with my one parent, most people assume it must be great because you have one parent. Mm -hmm. No, like that's not really true. We just were vastly different people and the older I got the more different we became I'm not really like anyone in my family but we just it was a it was a strained environment in the house I remember just being really uncomfortable and not just kind of dreading just that heavy feeling every day and not wanting to be there and it just got worse and worse and worse through high school after high school my grandmother once my grandmother died it got even worse and just wasn't it wasn't happy uh, for for anyone for anyone. So I just I just I knew I wanted out and I just wanted to live on my own and not be there. And that's so there's nothing like honestly overly dramatic that happened. It just was a very uncomfortable environment. I just wanted to clap because I, I feel very, like <laughs> mm, like yeah. I feel the, the 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 level of toxicity that you're talking about. I think it's it wasn't painful or anything, but it was just toxic where you just wanted to get out of it. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, and, there were times that were painful actually, but but yeah, I just I knew I knew I was going in a mm-hmm. completely different direction. Yeah. Uh and it never stopped. That trajectory has never really stopped. Like mm-hmm. I said, I'm just not my family's great people. They're like legitimately wonderful human beings. Yeah. We just couldn't we're it's we're just wired very, very differently. We see the world in a different way. And that's only gotten like the chasm between us only got mm-hmm. even further the more I traveled and the more I figured out actually who I was. Yeah. It's inter- it's interesting too because I, I can relate to your story a lot where I live with just one single parents mm-hmm. too and and 
it was just like you didn't want to hurt them and you just kind of went through the groove and then when you were saying that your 20s nobody knew you i, I totally can relate with that because i i used to say that my 20s were on autopilot where i was just doing things That's just right. to do but i was i had zero intention behind it i was just doing oh, yeah. going through relationships because i thought i had to go through relationships i i was deeply scared to be alone and that was the only motivator behind it i, I had to be surrounded by something anything would be fine mm. <laughs> but if it was good for me or not or if it was intentional on my side not at all so yeah. i look back at my 20s and i go it's like a fog a little bit where i'm like oh fuck <laughs> or how <laughs> you know so yeah it's really i mean I, I relate to some of that so i i just don't i don't think i, I mean i was definitely going through the motions like you said it's like yeah. i guess i'm supposed to have a girlfriend i guess you you live with your girl like but i wasn't even intending to do anything i never looked at anything as a serious adult because i wasn't one mm -hmm. i wasn't looking at anything it was like i guess what's fine in the moment now i look back on it as a very strange selfish time and also just not like i never questioned anything why do mm -hmm. i feel this way what are my priorities what do i like who am i and it's mm -hmm. like i look back on now i'm just like i always wonder like why would these girls date me in my 20s like what was i even like seriously what was i even bringing to the table <laughs> like i had no clue i had i don't think i was really providing anything like i look back out i'm like why would like thank you all other dudes for setting the bar so low <laughs> that you would want to date me in my 20s i actually yeah. don't even know you'd why you have want to date me in my 30s either frankly we can get yeah. into that too but <laughs> 20s it's like you were i was not like a person i wasn't a fully formed person i certainly yeah. wasn't an adult i was an adult in name only i had a job and like you know it's like on the surface it looks like it is right oh he goes to work every day he has mm -hmm. a career he's doing okay but it's like i feel like if you if i had talked to me even in my 30s talked to the person i was in my 20s i'd be like you have nothing to offer and i think you're kind of like a buffoon so <laughs> i wouldn't have liked hanging out with me but people did so yeah. it seemed fine i don't know yeah i i have very similar worlds yeah. about my, my yeah. 20s i think <laughs> maybe that's also like it's like yeah. guys too it's like we mature so much slower we're just so mm -hmm. dumb like we just like you just you're just like fumbling our way through everything and making yeah. these ridiculous mistakes yeah. but i was doing well in my career so i was like i'm doing everything fine i think i think it's the models that were given to you know on that male toxicity where you know it's just enough to have a job it's just enough to not be as as an asshole as other guys mm -hmm. and yeah. then, you know like just to be there and pretend that you can protect and then you know when you when you score two or three of those little <laughs> parameters you're like a good guy <laughs> maybe yeah then, maybe then, maybe that i think maybe societally that's a thing i yeah. was raised exclusively by women with almost no male influence yeah. so it's like i didn't i never felt that like I need to provide yeah. shit. It was just like, I want to get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> I just want out. I want to yeah, provide yeah, yeah. myself with a room that of I'm course. not sharing with my mom, like not a mm -hmm. room, but like a house I'm not sharing with my mom. And I want to like, mm -hmm. just do whatever I want by myself. Yeah. But yeah. So maybe that's why you surrounded yourself with those relationships. Cause you were so used to live with women. Maybe. I mean, yeah. it could have, I mean, I think it was dating like normal stuff, yeah. but yeah, maybe mm -hmm. sure. I, it really is true. I was mostly like 90 five percent i feel mm -hmm. like around women so yeah maybe so i guess kind of for contrast walk us through the the different lives you've lived so like who were you in your 20s 30s oh. and what is <laughs> what is so different about yeah. you now yeah well this might this is this is gonna be a four-hour podcast <laughs> uh 20s like i said i'm not this is not being like trying to be flippant like nothing i was i i just didn't know 
anything. I had no life, like outside of a career, which I was building and working hard in, I had zero life experience. So, hey, what's a good, what's good food? I don't know. Like, what's good <laughs> wine? I have no idea. I, I wasn't cultured. I wasn't, I just didn't know anything. It's like you hang out with your friends and you're drinking and you're, you're, you're living your life, but like, and I feel like I can relate to that. I wonder if it's like a northeastern thing. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> a little yeah, bit where maybe. like I feel like I was so sheltered and just had no idea what was going on in the world. And then like yeah, as I, I no got clue. older and met people from different cultures, my mind is just like well, blown. Like what? That's the stuff. So when you're asking about the difference between 20s and 30s, like for sure, travel and meeting other people. I mean, that's been the number one mind expander. It's the it's the it's the fastest direct route to empathy and figuring out everything in your life. But so 20s, just someone fumbling around, no clue about anything. How did you even choose the insurance route? What was the thought process behind that? Zero. No my, 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 yeah, because it's like, that's what you people go to school for. Like, I just want to be an underwriter. <laughs> uh, so I'm old enough to literally have had, back in the day, you would look for jobs, not on the internet, through a physical newspaper. Uh, <laughs> so like just dating myself so bad. But like on Sunday, like the Globe or the Herald in Boston would have it, the job section or would be yeah. like triple the size. So I remember on a, one Sunday morning, I was like, I, I need to get out of here. My grandmother was quite sick. I had finished high school, got accepted to university, was going, was going to college. Didn't want to go like in the first place. Like frankly, just did. I was not ready to go at that point. Like if I had had any self-awareness or, or, whatever I would have been like, I'm taking a year or two or, or just not have gone. I'm not sure it even was for me. Mm -hmm. um, I did fine in high school. I was a good student, but I doesn't mean I really had an ambition to go to college. Mm -hmm. She got sick. I knew I didn't want to be at school while she was sick. And I also, but it, it, there was a, that sounds more like you're a really good guy. I also was selfish and didn't want to go. It's a combination mm -hmm. of both. So I did leave, I left and then I remember, so I was at home in a really uncomfortable environment with a parent who we just didn't like each other. We just didn't like each other. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to get a job because this is miserable. It was, it was a means to an end. I get a job, I have a salary, I get an apartment. That's it. I was working part-time jobs that was not cutting it. And I was like, it's at this point now I'm like, 20, 21 or some of them. Like I need like a prop. If I'm not going to be at university, I need like a proper job. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I was like, I just, I circled, I, I went quantity over quality. I was like, I'm going to go to, I'd never been on a real job interview outside of like, like part-time jobs you worked at. So I was like, I will go on 30 interviews, 50. I don't care. And, th and that's what I did. I went on a few and I just like got experience. I got to under, like they all asked the exact same questions. Yeah. It was like, once you've been on three, you've been on a hundred. <laughs> and so I did that. And then I, and I absolutely just, uh, the, the job that offered me the most money is the one I took. <laughs> I said, this place was that company at the time was, so now it's, you have to understand it's Boston in 2001. So um, I don't know if any of you have been to Boston like back. So now, or it has been for many years on Northern Avenue is a very trendy, it's called like the Seaport District. Mm -hmm. It's super trendy. It's like, like nice hotels, uh, nice restaurants, bars. In 2001, it was, it was not, there was nothing going on there. It was like industrial. Mm -hmm. And the job was, there was a, a, a lobster pier, a fish pier. Mm -hmm. 
and the office was above that. So I got that job. smelled nice. So in April 2001, when I started, it didn't, it was not great, but I was like, oh, uh, you don't realize in the summertime that smell gets heavy and you were just gonna like people are just like why do you smell like a fish 24 <laughs> hours a day i'm like i work at like where do you work a fish pier i'm like yeah i do insurance at a fish pier but it's like really true so it was a tiny little company there were like five people there above a lobster place so there was nothing really glamorous or even attractive about it it was far at the time for me like travel it was just you're offering me the most money sold and and let me get out so you stuck with that for 19 years after that <laughs> not purposely yeah, yeah not purposely it's it's just one of those things it's like six months becomes one year quite fast and one year becomes five like i blinked and it was five years and there were plenty of times in between then that i mean day one i actually wanted to quit on my first day i made it to lunch and i was like this isn't for me. Like, what am I doing? Like, this is, they're talking a language. I have no idea. It's insurance. I already don't care about it. I'm already bored by it. Like, this is not good. But of course I wasn't going to leave. It was like, stick to it, whatever. Uh, and that was 19 years later. So yeah, it just sort of like the, the years and the decades spiraled. It was combination of me being too scared to leave, uh, being an absolute coward, like, I should have gone. There was a million reasons for me to leave. I had opportunities to leave, but it's like your salary gets bloated and, and you get a few titles and you're just like, I must be doing something right. It's again, it's like my twenties. I didn't think about anything. It was just sort of like, I guess this is my job now. And it's like, Oh, you're, well, you're paying me more money. Like this is fun. And even though I never really enjoyed it, the actual work, the people were really good, save for a couple of terrible people. For the most part, they were really, really good people. And so I rationalized. It was like, yeah. the people are good. My salary's really good. And then eventually when you learn that you're like, I can do this in my sleep, I can kind of turn my brain off and do this. I was rationalizing, but really I was too afraid to make the jump. And that's why 22 becomes 32 before I move and 32 becomes 41 before I really move. That's why pa being paralyzed by indecisiveness, insecurity, and fear. So that's the crazy thing. By 30, I'd been with that company for eight years. Like that's already like a long time. It's a better part of a decade and I'm only 30, still a young man then, a young man then. Uh, so thirties, yeah, like I said, thirties are three different human beings. I feel like for me again, thirties, early thirties are still kind of a continuation of my twenties. Like I realize now in retrospect, it was every everything that you do or i did was like from the inside out it was like how can this what am i enjoying how can you benefit me what do you do to make me feel good or make me feel happy that's really where it began and ended so emotional immaturity even though i was doing like the job i was doing was kind of like not intense but i mean you're working with millions of dollars and you're talking with CEOs and CFOs and other underwriters and agents and brokers and insurance companies. I was doing grown up things, mm -hmm. but I feel like I was like a child, you know? Mm -hmm. So early thirties, just same nonsense, going out, drinking and partying and that kind of stuff. Um, dating. Were there, yeah. I was just going to yeah. ask, like, were there any relationships in that? And my twenties were, yeah. believe it or not, as like I said, I don't know why people dated me, but I had serious relationships in my twenties. Like I lived with partners in my twenties. Like I was kind of more of the monogamous, uh, serious relationship person in my twenties. And then I think I got to my, my late twenties into my early thirties. And I was like, I 
just want to be single. This is, I, I did that. I'm, this is like, it was funny now in retrospect, I'm like, this is the time for me to be selfish as if I wasn't being selfish <laughs> the whole other time. Of course I was, but dumb, like 30 year old me was like, it's time for you to just, you need to pay attention to you, buddy. Like as if I really had earned that. But, uh, so yeah, early thirties, same kind of thing. I was single for a while. And I actually remember it's a weird thing to remember, but I remember being in an apartment in the town that I had grown up in. So that's the thing too. Like I had moved out, but I still lived in my hometown, even though I was going to Boston every day for work. Mm. You're not re- like, I don't know. I still felt like oh, I'm in my hometown. That's not really like, that like almost doesn't count. I felt like in my head, but I was sitting, I was like laying in bed in my apartment. I remember being like, I think I've been single long enough. I think I want a girlfriend. Like had that, like I might've even said it out loud as strange. Like I had that tangible thought, which is really weird. I don't know. It seems like a weird thought to me. So then I, at the time I started dating someone who was a friend, massive mistake. I, like, because again, it was like, what do I need? Mm. I want this. Maybe I'm a lonely or maybe I'm whatever. So I'm going to get a girlfriend and then I'm going to turn someone who's a friend into my girlfriend having zero of the tools to be a good boyfriend, to be a good partner. Just again, it was like, what do I need right now? So I'll take it. Thanks. Mm. Um, and, and in that moment when you had that thought out loud of I've been single long enough, I need a girlfriend. What was it that you felt a girlfriend would provide to you in your life? Or did you not even think that far? That's what I mean. You're giving me too much credit. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think I had just been single for a few years and it was like, I think it honestly like probably came from a fairly decent place. Like I, it's, it would be nice to have like a partner again. You know, Cause I had lived with girls. And I'm sure it actually was kind of a nice thing. Like, good intentions but with no ability to follow through on those intentions and once you get the girlfriend having no idea like i said how to be a good partner and not be a asshole and you know whatever uh so i so i was with someone early on i remember she asked me to move in with her and i even at that point with almost no self-awareness i was like this i said to her this is a bad idea we shouldn't do this because i knew that i wasn't in love with her i knew that it wasn't going to be like a long-term thing so without me being like uh there's no chance this works out between us i'm definitely not in love with you i also p.s have no idea what love is or any of that stuff uh i just was like this is a bad idea and she was like no 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 like i want to do this but it's a cop out on my part being like, oh, I let you talk me into it. This is like on you. I told you this was gonna be terrible. My friend moved me in and I said to him, I was like, you are, I'm going to be texting you in four to six months to move me out. And like six, four months, six months later, I, I was like, Let's, we were moving out. And he was like, man, you were, you were right about that. Uh, so I think it was just, it was that. And then I went into immediately another like relationship, which was, which actually, which kind of was a friend too, but still like that, why, like why, like, like the no forethought, like just kind of fumbling around mm-hmm. um, with no ability to be a good boyfriend to that girl either, who was lovely, that other girl was wonderful. Like they just wanted to love me and be my girlfriend. And I was like, I'm gonna punish the shit out of you for that. <laughs> Bad mistake, like, you know, because it just, again, but I that's a self-aware person in retrospect saying right. that at, my, at the time I was like, no, I'm a really good guy. I'm like, I'm nice. I'm, I'm a good dude. I'm not, I don't do, I'm not selfish. I was all those things, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that of course. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, so then that relationship inevitably ends because they all would, uh, as they should have. And Can I yeah. interrupt you yeah, and ask please, another yeah. question? Do you feel like your guy friends were in that same kind of mode as you as like thinking, oh, I'm a nice guy. I'm like doing all the things I'm supposed to do. And later on realized, oh, wait, actually, I was an asshole or mm, uh, do, do guys even talk about that stuff? <laughs> My guy, I mean, it, it, it so it's a, it's a case by case, but by yeah. this point you have to realize too, now I'm in my early thirties. Most of my guy friends are married. Mm. You know how it goes like age 26, 27 is like, that's when the weddings start. That's when you're in weddings and going all the time. So I don't see, I wonder sometimes if people are like me in the sense that like, even I knew then I could never, I knew I wouldn't be. I wasn't even a good boyfriend, let alone I could never be a good husband. Like I, I never even entertained the idea or thought of it. I don't know. I don't know if other people, like my friends, were in the same category as me, meaning just never questioned anything, and they were just like, "I guess I get married now." I, I don't know. Uh, we've talked about my friends and I. Some are, some are have the self awareness enough that they could be like, "Wow, I'm a piece of shit," or like, you know, like that's that thing I did was terrible. It doesn't mean that they that other people know that it doesn't mean that people around them know things about them or whatever so the, probably the answer to your question is no i don't think that they i think that they just went through the motions and a lot of people just get married to get married because it's, it's time mm -hmm. i'm in my late 20s i'm 30 i don't want to speak for them and be like you're not as self-aware as i am because i'm only self-aware now mm -hmm. now we're still we're still in the early 30s <laughs> part of this chronological thing where i'm still not self-aware whatsoever so i maybe they were more than me maybe credit to them they don't seem like they are frankly like i don't my, i'm gonna guess no they a lot like i mean i love some of them but like you know kind of fucking assholes but i'm not i'm not your friend but i i can i can say i'm i was exactly the same yeah. as you yeah. i mean dana has heard me say so many times oh man before i was such an asshole <laughs> like, and now with with how i see myself i'm like yeah when you say like how can girl ever date me i i totally understand yeah. that i i was engaged actually and i disengaged and, like, yeah. and i don't even understand how i went that far into the thinking that i could get engaged thinking that i could get married and when i look at it back now it's like when you say like you didn't have any tools to be in a relationship it it resonated with me so much and i think it's for me it came the self-awareness came with the uh, the understanding that it, i needed to know how to be in a relationship with myself first and I need to be okay to be with myself. But like, I look back in those days and I'm like, I, I couldn't even handle myself. Like, why did I think I could handle someone else in my life? But that would, you know? that would take deep interest. That's painful introspection. Yeah. That's like looking yeah. deep. It's like, yeah, it's like, uh, well, it turns out I'm painfully insecure. I have abandonment <laughs> issues and yeah. I'm just kind of a fucking asshole. So it's like, <laughs> it's hard. To, it's hard. Yeah. Hey, that's everyone's like, that's me. That's me. Yeah. I mean, but, but yeah. this is a 40 something year old dude who's gone through therapy and relationships yeah. and, and self-aware people are my people who really are like, I love people who have like genius level self-awareness where like yeah. they are the first person to be like yeah here's here's i've identified my trauma here's how it's manifested and this is right. why you're seeing this or this is why this horrible pattern of still at this point in my early 30s i hadn't identified i had identified yeah. zero trauma no self-awareness and but I thought I was a good guy. Because uh -huh. maybe in comparison to some other people, you see people do terrible things, like, well, I don't do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm still acting like completely in my own self-interest. Mm -hmm. If you're around me, it's like, you're just satelliting me and I'm, I'm the center of the world and like, 
if you're giving me something in that moment, I'll take it great. And I might even be nice and reciprocate maybe, but most of the time I will probably just be on like head down on a path that has nothing to do with any other human on earth except me. Mm -hmm. So not probably not the best person to be. I, 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 again, even friends I can look at now, I'm like, what, what did you even get from this relationship? What did you, I think I was a good friend, but I don't, it just, I think everyone is like, just living and going through life and trying to figure it out. So like when you're hanging out with your buddies, you don't think like, is he, is he fucking terrible? Is he like kind of a piece of shit? And then later in your life, you, you, when you jettison people, I'm sure you guys have too. like, I mean, I, but like you, when you shrink your social circle very, very much on purpose and you're like, turns out anytime I'd ever needed you, which was almost never, you were not there, unavailable, horrible. Then you, then you start playing it all back. It's like, God, you were like me. You were just like selfish and you were kind of just a bad friend. I have no, but like you haven't evolved and nothing has changed. And I'm not, I can't do this anymore. I can't be in like where you are anymore. You're really making me think like, I wonder if it often takes longer for guys to heal and identify their trauma. Not only like the, the biological, you know, time it takes to mature, but also like you were saying before, how the bar is set so low in yeah. society. It's like, yeah. well, I don't hit girls. I don't rape girls. Literally, yeah. So I'm a good guy. I'm a good one. Because <laughs> we all, because we, we've, we, if you have female friends, you'll hear horror stories. Mm -hmm. If you t actually talk, like I was used to, always used to talking with my girl, like female friends, girlfriends, right? Because I'm raised by women. I'm always having, I've had endless conversations with women. So talking with women has been typically I'm, it's, I'm comfortable talking with men too, but it had been more natural. And if you actually listen, like you'll hear, if you talk to any uh, one of your friends who's a girl, you're going to hear something terrible if they're literally over the age of like 14 or 15. Like you're going to hear some some terrible stories. So yeah, you're right. The bar is so low. So low. Like I must be okay because I didn't like I didn't do that. Yeah. So I'm all right. But like I'm still like I could be verbally abusive or emotionally mm. abusive or which all comes from trauma and immaturity but i don't know that yet um it all comes from because i'm scared yeah. and i'm just a small small person uh beating and you up for for literally trying to exist near me figuratively yeah, yeah, yeah. figuratively yeah. beating you up yeah, 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 yeah. no and and <laughs> those sort of the emotional abuse type of stuff is more socially acceptable too yeah. there's that layer where it's there's this image of like the stoic dad or you know like the emotionless guy it's yeah. it's like cool to be like that so yeah it just sort of makes it go on and on and you never question wait am i actually a nice guy no. you know no that that's the presumption the present like i i used to always think i don't yell i know because i'm not a yeller i don't raise my voice so i'm a good guy Mm -hmm. I hear your boy, I hear like, you know, you always hear, you hear two people fight, the guy screaming. I'm like, oh, see, I don't do that. Yeah, I've yeah. said the exact same, I've said a version of what they're saying, mm -hmm. but I said it in a calm voice. So that must mean I'm, <laughs> I'm a good guy yeah. because I didn't yell at you when I was telling you you're a piece of shit mm -hmm. and like all that stuff. I just said it nicely. So I must be okay. Yeah. This is the way like 20 something brain works or even 30. I mean, some people never figured out, right? Some people are in their 60s still acting like complete like pieces of shit but yeah. yes I, I did think like that i was like i remember i've like said the words i don't i don't like you raise your voice 
I don't raise mine. So you're the mean one in this relationship. Like you're so, you're so mean to me. Like I'm so nice all the time. It's like, meanwhile, I'm like an emotional terrorist, but like, you know, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Everything has been said. I just want to say, I just want to say my part just to repeat everything that is being said. Really, But it's like, I, I, I remember in my, in my twenties, early thirties to well, throughout my life, most of the, the friends that I had were female friends and very true. It's like, they didn't give us the template to, to, to know what to do, but they gave us the template to know what not to do. Mm. And not, knowing not to do something to someone doesn't mean that you can treat them well either. It's That's like, right. and, and when you say like, you know, you didn't raise your voice or anything like this, I can see myself in all those, everything that you say, I'm like drinking it because it's like, this is exactly how I lived my 20s where I was a, an emotional terrorist. I, I didn't, I was, a, I was very good at logically beating down someone Ugh. to the core, being like an, this, this, this emotional poison to people. Yeah. And, uh, and in my head, it, it was logic. I was right, you were wrong. And I could explain to you from A to Z how you were wrong and you were not allowed to have those emotions because A to Z, I'm, I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> and I was so, I was, that was an asshole. <laughs> I cannot yeah. tell you how many, y- y- the podcast you should do is all the ex-girlfriends <laughs> that will be like, he's a fucking lawyer. That's all I've ever said. Like, don't like, like you're, because it was the same thing. I'm like, here's, I know I'm right. So the basis right off the bat is I, I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, like that's, that's not even a question. I'm correct. You were wrong. <laughs> and I'm going to make an you know, exhibit A through a hundred yes. pragmatically why I'm correct, yeah. why you were absolutely incorrect, why your emotions are incorrect and are not and are not germane to the facts of this case, and, and that is because and I, and and I and I I but I wholeheartedly sincerely believed it, and I wasn't trying to be like they were like you just care about like they would say you care about being right. Which is true, but in the, my mind, it wasn't that. It wasn't because I had all. I already knew I was right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just like, but I'm gonna make you see what I already know. Well, how can you not see this? So if I explain myself mm-hmm. for the next eight hours or so in painful, horrible detail and just beat you down with it, eventually you're just usually be, like you don't win an argument. Your your opponent gives up. Yeah, they just yeah, yeah. submit and they're just like fine, fuck you. And that's it. No one's happy. You've resolved nothing. And they resent you because (laughs) you're saying like, like you're saying shitty, terrible things. You're just not yelling. Mm -hmm. And, and it causes like the, your partner will not forget the way that you made them feel. They will not forget the words that you used to beat them up and beat them into submission. Even if in your mind you're like, oh no, we just had like a, we had like a pleasant back and forth. Yeah, it got a little contentious, but Uh I made you see my way and like, I'm right and that's fine. That's how my recollection of it was. And they were just like, yeah, we had four of those and and, and I was either going to kill you or or be done (laughs) with this. And it just beats, no one wants to be in a relationship with that person. It beats them down it wears you down and it causes endless resentment it's like same thing it's like if someone said something that like really hurt my feelings it's like i can forgive them but like i probably have a i'm human i'm gonna have like a resentment i'm like Mm -hmm. man that that cut me like pretty good i was the king of that it was death by a thousand cuts it was it wasn't ever that big i did something horrible or i said something overtly Mm -hmm. horrible although i said terrible things too it was just the lawyering and the like i'm right you're wrong Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna show you that you're wrong and unless you say the right combination of words that satisfy me Mm -hmm. that makes me know that i know that i'm right and you know i'm right 
I can't. The, the case yeah. has to continue. I, I, I had that stupid rule before where it's like, I will never put a hand on a girl or things like this. And I remember one of my ex telling me, and this is actually just making me remember all of this. She was like, sometimes I wish you stopped talking and you just like slap me across the face. So this could be done, but just stop talking. Like, you know, yeah. just stop explaining yeah. yourself. Stop doing this whole thing. And it's like, just yep. slap me. And that's it. And I was like, no, I'll never touch a girl. Like, no, I'm not like this. And <laughs> I made it even worse. And yeah. it was just like, it was, just, oh, I was, I was about, I've person. never heard that, but I guarantee yeah. some would have volunteered with the like, <laughs> run me over with your car. Just shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. leave me alone. It's true. Cause you're beating them up in a different way and it's yeah. still not, it's still toxic and unhealthy. And I was a very unhealthy, I was filled with pain and anger and trauma. But if you told me I was angry, I was like, I don't understand what you mean. Like, I'm not angry. I don't feel angry, but I had a pit of, of broken glass and fire right here that I could easily access anytime. And if you were around me when I felt that, good luck, good luck. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It was a bad person to be. It was uncomfortable and painful to be for a really long time. Yeah. So, so now as you can see, the person I was in my early 30s, shit not good uh mid 30s i think i i had thought that i was in love around 33 i had met someone that i was like oh this is what love is like i had that moment i was like because ah, i never felt that way about someone else i was like got it um what this, was that like at that time what were the things that you were like oh this is what love is i actually think it was just re like it sounds so simple and basic but just really wanting to like wanting to be around someone all the time um, the first, probably the first time in my life I was like, I want, I really legitimately want to make you happy too. It wasn't just about like what I'm getting out of it. I just, I, I, in retrospect, it definitely wasn't love, but 33 year old me was convinced that it was, mm -hmm. I had told myself, well, this is it. See, I had waited all this time because I was going to meet this person. And I, now I met this person without, <laughs> without knowing anything of, without doing any exploration of their trauma what got them to the place that they are. I never did this thing where like I asked questions about my partners. I actually just started like, I just started doing this fairly recently. Like I like, cause because your past, yeah, you asked like basic questions, but the real stuff, like what are, what are your bad habits? What are your like bad patterns? Why are they? What, what, what happened? It's like that wasn't in my brain because I was just so, I'm in love. I'm, I'm so elated by this. I just want to be around you. We're just having a great time. Um, so I had, so that had happened. Then of course, like that did not, that like fell apart. And I was like, for the first time ever, I was really devastated, like horrified and devastated by that. So now that takes, that takes us into like mid thirties where, Wait, had you started to identify a pattern at this point? Because at this point, you've had a few relationships. It sounds like a few serious relationships. Was there a pattern in how the relationships ended? Was there a pattern in how they ended? Uh, no. Well, up until that one, the pattern was I left. That was the pattern. It was me being bored, me, be, me wanting uh, to date other girls. Uh, by that, I mean cheating on my girlfriend with other girls because that's what emotionally immature selfish people do and also what people who what people do when they're in pain and they don't know how to process that uh, in a healthy way so so that one was different she she ended the relationship she didn't want to be with me because she never felt the same thing that I had felt because she had 
trauma and there was specific reasons for that too. Uh, but I was, so then I did, that was, these were the sad times when I was out of this relationship and I just was sad. And so what, what would, what would early to mid thirties me do out of a relationship and really sad in no emotional state whatsoever to be a good boyfriend, still no real introspection, still no identification of any trauma date, of course, right? <laughs> Instead of taking the time to reflect and I was in therapy at this point, but just scratching the, like, I mean, I don't know if you, but like, it just takes your lifetime or decades to really get into it. So I'm just scratching the surface of it. Um, and it was really just like, hey, I'm sad, fix me. That was what therapy was for me too. It was like, my girlfriend broke up with me. I'm super sad. How do I not be sad? That was all it was. It wasn't like, how did I contribute to this? What, why? It was, again, what can you do for me, doc? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, immediately started dating people because why wouldn't I? I'm lonely, I'm broken. Mm -hmm. um, and what can you do for me to, to stop that? So tortured some people there, uh, should not have dated, uh, really messed up a really, really sweet, wonderful girl who I still to this day regret that so bad because she was such a good person and just wanted to love me. And of course I, I beat her up not physically, I keep wanting to like, I should stop, I should use a different phrase. I like tortured her, again, not physically, uh, because I was just broken and in pain. Uh, and so no excuse, it just was what it was. Um, so I dated when I shouldn't have, um, but it was the start of me starting to piece things together and figure it out, going to therapy, actually like doing the like, am I an asshole? What, what is going on with me? Why do I do certain things? What are my patterns? Clearly, I think I had, at that point, I had discovered that I had a self-sabotaging uh, thing. So yeah, that, that's like, but again, like, but that person, my, my priorities were different. I was, that person still was further along than 30 year old me. He just still was not good. Uh, and still not someone who is outside of work, outside of working and paying taxes, a productive member of society. So, but I was traveling at this point. I had been to a, a couple different countries. So I'm starting now to 32, 33, 34, 35. I'm starting to travel more. And this is this is how we then do the push into the late 30s where I'm traveling, my, my perspective is shifting, my eyes are opening, I'm listening to people, empathy, kindness, gratitude. These are things that are starting to become more present in my life. So then I can then, in theory, start to generate that and maybe attract a better quality people, person or just be a better person. As you were traveling in these late 30s, were you staying single or were you still dating? I, so I, I after that, like after that relationship, then I immediately got into another one. The one that the one that I that I was that did not end well for that lovely gal. Uh, and then after that, so at that point, I think I was 34 into 35 and then I stayed single. I didn't have another girlfriend till 37. So I was traveling and I'm, I, I, I was self-aware enough to know to stay single too, that I, this was not the time for me to be after that relationship. It was like, buddy, you cannot like, you're a mess. So I knew to like, keep going to therapy, keep traveling, work on yourself, figure yourself out. So yeah, I was single from 35 to 37 okay. while traveling pretty extensively. Mm. Well, if it makes you feel any better from my perspective, I feel like those women, they almost, they needed you just as much as you needed that experience to learn from. Obviously it sucks to 
go through that experience and that breakup and everything. But if those girls were were even attracted to you and even stayed with you, that means that they had some healing to do that they were maybe unaware of and they probably are in the same patterns that you found yourself in. They were probably serial dating asshole guys and and being like, why does this keep happening to me? Why do I keep attracting these guys? They also needed that moment to have that introspective of like, wait, what am I doing? How do I look at my past and heal my traumas? Because that's, I think, how it was for me. Like when I think back to um, one guy in particular, he was such an asshole, but it like woke me up to the point where I was like, wait, there's a pattern here. Like, why am I going after these guys? How do I need to look at myself to change? And then that's when I was single for a really long time and was doing all the self-work and introspection, so. Was he an overt asshole or like more like, okay. Like, I always considered myself undercover. Like, if you you were in the room with me for a sustained amount of time, he's a fucking asshole. But on the surface, I really wasn't. But you're saying he was like just clearly overtly an asshole. So it was really, you look, can you look, you look back on that time, you're like, what was, what was it in me that drew me to this and Mm. kept me there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Are you still in contact with any of your uh, past relationships in that that journey of self-awareness? Did you you reach out and say sorry or... I did. Yeah, I have. I have reached. I reached out and said. So the answer is mostly no, because you know most of them they're married and they have kids. They're not like, hey, I'm sorry, I was a piece of shit when I was. You know, I don't think Mm -hmm. they even care. Like, yeah, dude, I could care less. Thanks. I have like a kid. (laughs) Uh, Don't care about you. Uh, I did apologize to that the one girl I was telling that right after the Mm -hmm. the relationship that I got into. I did apologize to her. And she was pretty sweet about it because she's like a good person. I did so when I, when I was thirty seven, I did get into a relationship, uh, and that was that. It's like you think you are past certain things, you think you're over certain patterns, and you get into a serious relationship, and you realize you fixed about ten to fifteen percent of them, but mm. so much bad stuff is still there, and then new bad stuff happens too that you realize, oh, I'm actually, I'm nowhere near where I need to be. We that relationship that was like 37 to 38. Three years later, we had a conversation and we we both did apologies. Like mm-hmm. we both did our apologies. Like uh, you know whatever. Um, and gave it took, but it took three three and a half years to to get to that point where like we could do that. Um, but I'm not in contact. I'm only in contact if you don't count casual stuff i'm in contact with one ex-girlfriend is the girl i moved here with who's my literal best friend now but she's the only one that i that we have contact because they're while there was trauma it wasn't it's not like trauma trauma like what we're talking about now it was mm-hmm. a very mature healthy breakup so of course we're able to uh, be friends course, so yeah. so the answer i get it's yes and no but like yeah, yeah. So now I'm 30. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I, yeah, I don't know. So I, I, tra- I did travel a lot, but going through, I was, I traveled a lot. Now in the late 30s, I get into this relationship, uh, and it was, it was the first girl I had really felt something for in a, in a really long time, uh, and it was good until it wasn't. It was like one of those things where, like, same thing. I think I still had a lot of the really bad, like, lawyering, just toxic. T- I remember like. I, we would get into arguments where like in the middle of it, I'd just be like, I feel bad for us and I feel bad for me. I was like, I feel bad that I'm in this relationship and I feel bad that I've allowed myself to be talked to like this, to talk to someone like this and just, oh, I thought I'd like, I'm like, 
37. I really felt like by 37, I was a kind of a fully formed person. And I was ish like adjacent like i kind of was like i had i had cleaned up some things uh some bad patterns and bad habits and i think i was a better partner but then new things come up and it's a new set of it's it's someone else's trauma that you're that is mixing with yours and sometimes that mix that was like a fiery mix that was really bad but again on the surface you'd be like that's a really good couple he's super great she's great mm -hmm. this is lovely and fine and i'm like if you could hear a recording of the fights that we have you would be you would just be horrified and you'd be like you guys should not be in a, in a relationship so obviously that ended as well and then and then it was and then i was single again until 40. so i again it was like i was like yep I learned something from that hardcore hit the therapy uh really do introspection clean up those patterns that you thought were fixed that aren't that actually like were are still quite bad mm -hmm. the new stuff that came up you better address that because that will linger mm -hmm. and it i mean it took me till like now to like just recently fixed i just like in this in this year just fixed a lot of the stuff that was uh the prime culprit of that relationship ending just now and that's mm -hmm. three four years later mm -hmm. so it's a constant battle it's a constant journey i mean i hate that it's a constant like you know a journey of introspection or whatever you want to call it yeah. uh re rewiring and reprogramming your brain which i needed completely i needed to like wipe the computer and start basically start over mm. so what did that actually look like in practice in practice it looks like <laughs> on the surface it looks like depression i think uh <laughs> it looks like someone who's in a lot of pain yeah. it looks like someone who is insecure uh big time abandonment stuff needs praise um bad patterns self-destructive self-sabotage a lot of therapy uh and then start and then starting to introduce meditation starting to introduce like realizing that i was open to things through travel but the way i viewed spirituality the way i viewed people if anyone around me previous to this past year or so was like said even like the word god i was like you're not a serious person like i i wrote you off because i was like well if you're turning to religion or god then like you're like I, that's all gone. Like, like now, like, even though I'm still not a real, like for years, I used to say I'm a recovering Catholic. I'm still not a, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person. But when I was in Bali, I learned, I got taught and asked a lot of questions about Hinduism. And we live in a place now where there's, there's, there's a lot of people are Buddhists and, and things like that. So I've, re I've reprogrammed my brain to be more of a receiver, to be more accepting of those things and to feel God in a room or feel like oh god is present but it's not mm -hmm. god jesus like whatever just like it's more like grace it's feelings being able to let something kind of wash over you and feel good about it mm -hmm. uh it's trying to be more present and connected i know that's super cliche but it's true being lighter i was heavy and angry and pessimistic and in pain 24 hours a day and now i i mean I, it's not i'm not it's not solved i'm not like fine like you know i'm, I'm fine guys now like it's fine 
but it's just I don't carry I don't have as quick access like a, a pipeline to all that pain yeah. it's not as on the surface for me it's been cleaned out a bit so I feel a bit lighter did, did you have a aha moment where you like you managed to connect the dot you're like oh this is what was missing in my my thought process no no one aha moment yeah. a, 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 a million little victories like a little like mm -hmm. all right oh or like i should have like right if i had asked that or like oh like someone will say when we were together or we had this conversation i said this and this was your reaction i'm like mm -hmm. it, like how could that be i didn't even remember it and it seems like That wasn't me. It's like, right, that guy reacted to it that way mm -hmm. because he didn't even, he, he heard 5% of what you were saying, if that, and I took none of it into heart. Because again, it was about how did you, what you said, how did it affect me? Mm -hmm. Why would you put this on me? What are you looking for from me? Why are you starting drama? Why are you starting fights? Why are you like, they're not, they're trying to talk to you. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get you to understand mm -hmm. their pain. So, you know, you could love them or you mm -hmm. could understand them. From like I, I didn't do that. I didn't turn to people. I had a therapist, but I never. Even my best friends, almost never did I. Hey man, I'm, I'm. I think I'm depressed, or like I'm sad, or like fuck, I'm like lonely, or I, whatever it was. I'm just in pain. I never did that. So like friends did it to me, and I never looked at it as an inconvenience. Uh, I actually quite enjoyed helping them. But like, yeah, if you were in a relationship with me, I think I looked at it as like a burden or something, or maybe I was trying, I don't know. It's like, I mean, I still maybe haven't figured it all out, but so no, no one aha moment. I started implementing different systems, different uh, methods, different practices. Some things worked, some things didn't. I used 25% of this one thing. I scrapped this one totally. This one I liked and I, I keep doing it. Mm -hmm. I still fuck up and fail all the time, yeah. but like, I do generally feel lighter and a direct, a, a quicker pipeline to be able to like, be like, okay, this is, this is not so bad. Or like, I'm telling myself it's bad. Like I've just, my brain says, this is bad. You're unhappy. You're this. And as simple as this, this is going to as simple as something is being like, there's a, there's an exercise where it's like, okay, your brain has told you I'm unhappy. I'm bad. Something is bad. Something isn't good. If you then go, okay, what is good? What's something in your life that is actually good or making you happy? As silly as like, just think of good mm -hmm. things, but your brain will come up with plausible things that actually are good. And you're like, oh yeah, right, that is good. <laughs> like that's actually good. Maybe I'm not unhappy, or maybe I was only kind of mildly inconvenienced, but I took it as an affront and now I'm sad, but like mm -hmm. not really. Um, living here has really helped that. Like, like when you wait as long as I did to make the move and you finally do that big, big thing and you like, I just get to Vietnam and living here, like sometimes I'm just be like, right, but you live in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. This is bad and it is, or I feel bad and I do, but I'm feeling bad in Saigon and that's better than feeling bad in Boston. Yeah. And sometimes it's just something simple like that. And I'm like, fuck, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go get some fun. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm solid. Like, I mean, it kind of yeah, is. True, Whereas true. before, I, I even if you told me that, I'd be like, you're an asshole. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna say I feel good. Like, fuck you. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I had that. I just was angry. And I was like, you're dumb for even saying that you're a child. Grow up. Everything's horrible. Like, I had just a really poisonous, bad outlook on things. And I don't, I, I still can fall into that. But I don't, in general, 
that's not there as much anymore. All right. So can you tell us about your first travels and how it changed you? It, it, it was like, I think I use that term empathy because it's like, I remember typically at home, you know, like, I don't know, like you guys, but I would go out of my way to not talk to people. Like, I mean, from, I'm from Boston is a very unfriendly city. It's a great city, but it's, it's unfriendly. Like, um, it's very tribal, you know, who, you know, it's kind of like towny, you know, it's like, you know, the same, it, this wasn't the case for me, but most people know the same 15, 20, 30 people that they know. And that's all they know. A lot of them marry them too. And like, uh, why the divorce rate so high, but, uh, <laughs> it's an unfriendly city. And I think while I was a friendly person, you know, you're just like, get up every day, go to a job that you really don't like, put your head down go to the gym, cook, go home, go to sleep or something like that. So I'm not going out of my way to connect, to put myself out there to someone. But when you travel, it's like exactly what you do. You travel great distances, sometimes literally around the world, just so you can talk to someone. Mm. So you can like walk into a random restaurant or bar and have like a really heartening, wonderful conversation. And it could be about soccer. It could be about, usually it's about travel. Usually you're meeting like-minded people, but maybe they're going to give you uh, if they're local, they're going to give you an insight into like, go to this place for this food or like try the wine here or like whatever. It just enough of those kind of conversations fill you up and make you lighter. And you, and the empathy part comes in because you're experiencing a different culture. People are growing up in a way that you did not. So like you're telling each other these different stories and you're like, ah, that was like that happened to you or like you had to go through that i had um, you realize you're like i had no troubles whatsoever like my <laughs> childhood was like i was you know i did the, no the normal things but like it was really good you know like i didn't face any hardship i always had running water i always had food i always had you know so if you're in i remember being in um I think I was in Vienna and I took a cab somewhere and my cab driver, I think had emigrated from, we'll say, let's just say Pakistan. I, I don't remember, but he'd emigrated from a different country and he, he's in the back of a cab. He's telling me a story. He's been here for 10 years. He's still sending 90% of his salary back home to his wife and kids because he's trying to get them over here. It's red tape. It's a nightmare. He can't get them here. He's living very modestly. Cause he's still so he's, he's the breadwinner, but sending it over there, he's in a different country. He misses his wife and children desperately. And he's driving me around to go so I can take fun pictures and like have a great time. And then I'm going to go to the pub later and like hang out and it's all for fun. It's, 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 it's fulfilling me, but it's a lot of it is just, it's my hobby that I can do because I have a good job. Mm -hmm. So like if you can't then, and then maybe if something happens back home and someone who looks like the guy that you talk to, they look like him, their name sounds similar to his and a news story comes up. Now, uh, my first instinct is to humanize them, is to be like, well, that is, he looks like and sounds like the guy who's the, guy, the cab driver in Vienna or wherever I was, Budapest or Belgium or whatever, that, was telling me the story about his wife and kids. And the story comes up, uh, a, a bad news story happens, something violent happens, and most people are just like, they'll throw a slur out or a word or whatever. This is the climate in America. Uh, and I don't, I don't have that because I'm like, well, what if, but what if he's like my cab driver who's just like a super, like there's, there's nuance to it. I'm, I'm, I'm coming at it as a place, a place from empathy. Am I, can I relate to that? Can I understand something? I'm not instantly demonizing this person or taking the humanity 
out of them. So humanity, grace, empathy, however you want to describe it, this is what travel started to do. It made my my worldview and my perspective different. Um, I, without getting political, I think it does make you more liberal, for lack of a better term, just because mm-hmm. you're seeing different. Now, most of the time, you're traveling to like really posh, nice places in Europe. So like people aren't like, you don't see people struggling, but you could hear stories and you can sometimes go into parts where you could see clearly there's a struggle that I haven't had to go through. It just makes you a different person. Uh, And I do think for the better. And I think people who travel, that community of travelers does feel that way. And I think that's why we can, we can talk to each other for hours and hours and hours because you'll tell me some story that, that happened to you late night in Italy one night. I'm like, right. And then I was in, Croatia and this, and now we're all just swapping these great stories and, 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 um, that all of that then is the push that eventually led me to for, you know, for years I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave. I hate my job. Uh, and as you're becoming more empathetic and light, you're also seeing the contrast. This is, I'm only speaking for me. I was seeing the contrast of people in my country, in my city that were not like that. Um, very much the opposite. And the climate was changing. Things were happening. So I moved in 2019. Mm -hmm. The country was a different place a few years before that. Uh, Not mentioning any names, but it was a different, it was becoming a different place. I was in Bali in 2017. uh, And I remember people there asking me being like, kind of like what, what happened or like what's going on. I was there in Ubud when president Obama was there. So people were just like, Kind of like, oh, you went from Obama to like, what's happening? And it's like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's really embarrassing and it's disheartening. Mm-hmm. And then that, and that got much worse, as you guys know, much, much, much worse. Mm-hmm. And that was a factor. It wasn't the factor, like the factor, but I did not feel at home in America and I did not feel very American. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. I still don't, frankly. Yeah, I absolutely resonate with the mm-hmm. feeling like not, I don't feel like I resonate with being an American anymore. Like when I think about America and what it is now, I don't know how I relate to that anymore at all. And I'm almost like nervous to go home Mm. whenever I do eventually, uh, not even necessarily to move back, but just to visit. It feels like, what is this place? Like it's just gonna be a completely different place to walk into. It will be because you've been yeah. here, we say, for three years. Mm-hmm. So it, it literally is. It's <laughs> yeah. a different place. I mean, I left it. It, it was yeah. a different place when I left. Think of, I mean, like, I got here. It was like, I was here for like a minute. Uh, we had Tet and then a pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's been strange if you think about it. The whole time I've been in Saigon, essentially, borders have been closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what will it be like here when borders open? I think about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I like, this is probably like a really strange like lame strange thought and i guess it's like whatever but i'm like ah oh, there's gonna be like i'm there and let americans in here yeah but meanwhile like like i came of course but i'm like god yeah. i hope they don't let americans yeah. in here like we're the worst like yeah. but meanwhile it's like most likely americans that are going to make the jump to come here unless you're like you're just backpacking and that like that typical shit. But if you're older, you're probably not going to be as shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I've like literally, I, I I felt that for, like I said, even years. Like, it's just like, I don't, I would hear, like I'd hear things that like coworkers said or just things on the street. And I'm just like, it became, it was abhorrent mm-hmm. to me. Like 
gross. Mm-hmm. Just like it's like I can, I cannot relate. Like we're both technically people, but like I cannot <laughs> relate to you. Like you and I have no. We have no connection yeah. whatsoever. So like we're mostly water and like share some like DNA, I guess. But like we're not, like your brain works in a way that mine just doesn't. Mm-hmm. You like our values, our everything is just so different. And I don't know if you like when you travel to other countries. I felt more akin to those yes. to, to literally everyone else, <laughs> literally everyone who wasn't American. I mean, I know that's like oh you hate America. But it's just been my experience. It's not like I'm not trying to hate on America. It's just really easy to hate on America (laughs) because it's awful. But but no. But it's 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 that's just been the case. And then here, everyone is so kind and so like lovely and like well wants to help you out. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we live in a very confusing, difficult city. Uh, It's wonderful, wonderful place to be. Wonderful country, beautiful people. And it it I know I'm meant to be here and not. Mm home yeah Yeah. all of that definitely resonates with me so how did you choose vietnam how did you end Mm. up here uh so i had been to so the only places in i had been to indonesia and when i say indonesia bali uh and um thailand uh before and i knew that i had wanted to go i vietnam had been on the list for for quite some time japan's always been the number sort of the number one um but i certainly knew i wanted to do vietnam Mm. Uh, if you want another cliche uh, alert, I'm another American expat who kind of idolized Bourdain. So because I loved Anthony Bourdain, I, I it's hard to not get into him and not love Vietnam because it was such a huge part of his his identity, I guess, yeah. right? And he, he helped make me fall in love. Uh, me with, too. Yeah, same. Okay, so <laughs> but it's true. Like when we when I'd see him on that little bench and and eating and having conversations, like I just want to be there. Yes. I want to be in many countries that he was in. Right? I want to be in all the places he went to. But the Vietnam thing stuck st- hit me too. It mm-hmm. hit me too. And 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 I remember him telling a story about. He had been he had been in Vietnam for one of his shows, and it had been several years later. And he was back in Hanoi with his crew, and he was telling the story. They were in a car, and him and like his let's say his like producer and cameraman just started crying, just because they were they felt the kind of the they felt like the magic of this place. Mm-hmm. And I am I am very romantic about travel and very romantic about this place. And. I had had so many images saved and, and, and I had like my Instagram was just, I was following people here before I knew things. I was like, you, you've even flown, you've passed the Vietnam. We're best friends. Tell me all me about too. it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You do the same. So it's yeah. like, so this is what I mean. I think people who have that traveler thing can really relate to that. It's like, I, I, I want to be there part of, and then to answer your question fully. So part of it was just being romantic and wanting to live here mm-hmm. and idolizing my hero of mine, really making it seem incredible. And he was right. And then at the time, I had a girlfriend at the time, we had a dog, and it was like, it was like, what's the softest landing spot for us? We knew we got our TEFLs, we knew we were going to teach means to an end, right? Mm -hmm. Fertile teaching market, we knew we could make enough money to live, it was an easier destination to bring our dog at the time. It was a combination of like, pragmatic things and like, I want to pretend to be Bourdain in Vietnam. It was <laughs> it was the combination of 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 those things. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, we're getting pretty close to time. <laughs> there's, we talked about so much good stuff. I'm so excited for this episode to come out. And there's so much that we didn't even get to. We I was didn't gonna even, say I could. We didn't even get to like your blog or anything. Um, we'll do a part but, two. Maybe. Yeah. Sometime. Maybe a part yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, if people like it enough, then we'll then we'll we'll do a part two. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. Just to kind of wrap up, and then I do want to ask, what do you see for the future for mm. yourself? Is there anything kind of on the horizon? You've caught me at a time when I'm like really listless and I don't know what yeah. I want to. I've been in that sort of like what's next. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm teaching was a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no offense. It's like a super noble profession, but I'm not passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so when you were mentioned in the beginning, like I just started to dip my toe in like, the copy editing thing, maybe like doing some, maybe doing some um, comms and socials for like a, a tech company. That's like a super maybe. It's like in parentheses. Like I haven't even, I've been through a few interviews, but like it's not official or anything like that. But even that is like I'm doing it because it's an outlet to be creative and it will let me do something different. The answer is I don't know. Mm-hmm. You're catching me at a weird time. I've never been particularly ambitious. Um, I don't know what I want to do. I know I want to do it here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. I'm trying to figure out how I can take little moments that I have. of. I'll be driving on my bike and have a little moment of inspiration. Just be like, oh, Vietnam is like, so, like, I'm so happy to live here. It's fleeting, but I, it, it happens. I'm like, how can I take that and make it a career or, or, or monetize it or even just do something different, not even monetize it, but like do something that would fulfill me and, and, and make me feel happy. I wish I had the answer to that. I'm, I'm really in a kind of a anchorless place right now it's a strange it's a lot it's a lot of introspection a lot of me asking questions constantly so i don't know i mean i, I know that's not a no, great answer to- but it's, that's an answer it's, it's, it's a totally true fun. it's an honest answer yeah. yeah i just don't know i just don't know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and there's so many people here in that same position yeah. so i feel that's probably people true yeah. resonate with you for sure yeah and we always ask this last question at the end how would you describe saigon in three words chaotic confounding and magic beautiful yeah this was really really fun i was nervous and uh instantly felt not nervous and Mm. and and connected to you guys so you guys are really good that's a that's a that's a compliment to you guys i'm not trying to to butter your bread but you guys are good at it uh because you made me feel really comfortable so no, I had a real, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thank yeah. you. That was yeah. so good. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Again, please continue to like and share. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Tell your friends about it. We really want to get these stories out to more and more people. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Saigon. If you liked this episode, Become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.